Are you a Christian who wants to go deeper into the roots of your faith? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Grafted, Jewish Roots of Christianity. This is a podcast for Christians who want to understand the Jewishness of Jesus and his word. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. I'm also an author and a Bible teacher. In this podcast, we will stretch and maybe even challenge you to look at Scripture from a Hebraic point of view. We want to help you understand Scripture through the lens of the Hebrew language, culture, and history. Thank you for joining us. Devorah Kalik and her husband Daniel live in Israel. They are the founders of Bless Israel Network. This network is where she writes and hosts Heartbeat of the Torah, which connects the Torah with the New Testament. And among other things, I found you YouTube videos and writings that you put out there doing a lot of teaching. And I just want to welcome you today because I think you're a great asset to what we're going to talk about. And we've got some great things planned. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Stephanie. I really appreciate it and appreciate the opportunity to help people to learn, start learning or continue learning what I've learned. That's right. And it's so interesting, even as we have talked before, there's so many directions. I mean, we can go. This could be a two hour broadcast because there's so many things to talk about. And there's so many things that are so interesting that we as Gentile Christians, believers, I've gotten to the point where I just want to say that we're all just believers in Messiah instead of separating us all. There's so many things that we can learn. And I think one of the first things that we could talk about is how we separate ourselves from Israel. We call ourselves the church. And then we look at Israel and say, they're Israel. They're Messianic. We are the church. We're Christians. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I sure can. That was one of the first things I came to realize. So basically, there's a really great book that I can recommend to your listeners. It's called Copernicus and the Jews. Actually, the main title is The Separation of Church and Faith. And then the subtitle is Copernicus and the Jews. And it's by a a Jewish man named Daniel Gruber. And of course, he follows Yeshua or Jesus. You know, there was a lot of anti-Semitism, sadly, in church history in the early church fathers. And one of the things, the one of the first things that Daniel Gruber points out is that the word ecclesia in Greek has been translated as church in most of our Bibles. And actually the word comes from the Hebrew word in the, what people call the Old Testament, but I call the Jewish scriptures or the Tanakh that stands for the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. And so Daniel Gruber points out that the real meaning of ecclesia comes from kahal or adah. Both of those words, they basically mean congregation. Adah actually means a congregation of witnesses. But those words in the Tanakh, in the Torah, in the Hebrew scriptures, always are associated with Israel. It's always the Kehilah of Israel or the Eidah of Israel. This is a subject you and I could take the whole time. 
to talk about, mm-hmm. but we won't. And we're going to kind of jump off and other, I hope you'll invite me back in other future um, podcasts. But there are so many things that sadly, the church, un- maybe some unintentionally, I really think a lot of Christians don't know these things. But before that, way before, in back with Rome in the third and fourth century, there was an intention to separate Christianity from its Jewish roots. This is something that's hard for a lot of us to accept. It's hard to recognize. Mm-hmm. And it's even harder to recognize the anti-Semitism that existed in many of what we call our church fathers. That's right. The truth. That's right. And you're right. We could go that direction and just mm-hmm. talk about that because there's so many examples throughout our early church history, the first 300 years. And it's around that time that things started changing in that yeah. first, you know, after the first 300 years, things started changing. Jesus or Yeshua and the uh, Torah. And and we're not going to go real deep in this because there's so many things just here in the general sense that we could cover and just help people understand a little better. So when we look at the book of Matthew, Jesus made a point of saying that he did not come to abolish the law and prophets. Could you explain that a little bit more and what that means? Because it's not necessarily abolish as we think of it. That's a translation of the word that he would have used. And um, we also need to make a point. A lot of the Bible was written in Hebrew, but Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so sometimes to get back to what he actually would have said, especially where he's quoted, we can look back in Aramaic, which is also very closely related to Hebrew. So it's it's the both Semitic languages. But anyway, so we can go back and look at that verse and get a lot of insight from that verse in Matthew. We sure can. It's Matthew 5, 17 to I think it's 19 or 20. So... Basically, the words that are in the Greek, and I, I forgive me, I'm not a Greek scholar at all. The I did not come to abolish. The better translation would be destroy. And yet I came to fulfill. So I think the word for destroy in Greek is kataluo. And for ful- fulfill, it's leiru or something like that. Well, those words, when you put them in a Jewish context, I'll tell a little story. So in a Jewish yeshiva, which is a school where you study the Torah and you study, you know, the writings, etc. And you study also included in that you study the Jewish um, many Jewish resources that are foundational in Judaism. Uh, the rabbis, the rabbi who is kind of like a, his students are like father-son relationship, okay? He would say something and tell the students to get together and discuss the meaning of a verse or meaning of something. So uh, they would, of course, in Jewish world, discussions can get rather heated. But at the end of the day, everybody says, you're my brother, I love you. And that's it, it's over, even when they disagree. So students would have this discussion. They would midrash, what we call midrash. They would discuss, drash is to search out. And so they would search out the meaning and they would you know, disagree with each other. And so one student would be designated as the one who comes up with the meaning. 
And then whatever they said, the head rabbi would say, if they were, if it was incorrect, he would say, students, you have just destroyed the Torah. Hataluo, which means you destroyed it. And if they got the interpretation right, then he would say, students, you have just fulfilled the Torah or you have just made the Torah stand up. And so these are the words that are used in a Jewish context. Yeshua was actually saying, I didn't come to make the Torah fall down, to destroy it, to make it null and void, if you will. I came to make it stand up. And I came to teach you what the true meaning and interpretation of these words is. That's right. Which he really does, because if we continue to look in Matthew, starting with the Beatitudes and moving on to each section after that, he's basically doing just that. He's explaining the Torah. He's explaining what it means. And talk a little bit about Beatitudes. So we sometimes get them from a Christian point of view or from a Greek point of view. But some of those words in there, um, they actually have their roots in the Jewish language in Hebrew. Yes. So the word they begin with, as we were talking about, ashrei. And this is based on the Hebrew word ashar, which means to be happy. And so Yeshua was saying happy is the man who, or woman, of course, you know, mm-hmm. they, they always include women in that, you know, happy are you when, well, I'm just, this one popped into my head, when men revile you and persecute you mm-hmm. because you will receive the kingdom of heaven. This is based also the first person in the Torah who was named after uh, is Asher, Asher, mm-hmm. and it means happy, happiness. It's a wonderful story. I'm not going to get into it. We'll hopefully do it sometime later between um, the timing of Leah giving birth to Asher. So the whole idea behind these, what we call the Beatitudes, which really means blessing. Well, it doesn't really say blessed are you. It says happy. Happy mm-hmm. is the man or happy is the person. These were about many things that are in the written Torah. He was giving his interpretation and understanding those commandments that are in the Torah. It was basically uh, Yeshua. I, I call him Yeshua because that's his Hebrew name and that's what his mother called him. But it's okay to say Jesus, not a problem. Mm-hmm. So these are the things that Moses taught and that Yeshua was bringing into remembrance and meaning. And it was on a mountain. It was on a mountain that's in the Galilee where it's tradition that he was. We call it here the Mount of Beatitudes because everybody talks about these Beatitudes. And it's a picture of Moses teaching from Mount Sinai. He is the prophet like Moses, as it says in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, And so as Moses instructed and helped the people understand the commandments and how to do them and the heart meaning inside. This is exactly what Yeshua was doing. He was being the prophet like Moses, teaching the oral Torah from a mountain. 
That's right. And that's such a beautiful picture because we don't often relate Moses and Jesus. But like you said, back in Deuteronomy, God told Moses, I will raise up one of your brothers and he will be a prophet like you. And then in John 7, Jesus says, don't you know that I am the one that Moses spoke of? And they respected Moses. I mean, a great deal. Moses is way up on their pedestal. I mean, if we look back at the Torah, you know, everything Moses did, he set the whole Jewish religion, the people of Israel, he he gave them what they do today. I mean, of course, it was God. Of course, we're not leaving God out of that picture because it was God who set Moses to do those things. But they revere Moses for what he gave them and what he taught them and the way God used him. And we can parallel so many things with between Jesus mm-hmm. and Moses because he and was their I, savior. Yeah. And can I just add that God is still the center of the Torah. And actually, I believe Messiah is right at the center of the Torah mm-hmm. because Moses received the commandments and the instruction from God. And then he was God's voice piece mm-hmm. to teach the children of Israel. And so that's why he, he was a prophet. And in fact, uh, it says in the Torah, I can't remember right now where it is, but it says that God himself, God himself said that Moses was the most humble man born of woman. And this brings up just a little side note. It came to mind. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. I know it can be controversial, but you see, unless the Jewish people can see Yeshua or Jesus's followers following a prophet like Moses and doing the things that Yeshua taught from the mm-hmm. Torah, they're not going to recognize that Yeshua is the Jewish Messiah. That's right. Yes. And this opens up something too, because we often think that the Jewish people need to become Christians. And when we talk to them, you know, about the Messiah, about Jesus, then they think that we're trying to convert them to, and that's what they hear. You're trying to convert me from Judaism to Christianity. And in reality, that's not the case. They are fine as Jewish people and as Jewish believers in the Messiah. They don't have to start coming to church the way we do church. Synagogue is also a word that's used a lot. And that was where they started in the days after Jesus ascended. They met with the Gentiles in the synagogues or in home churches. But, you know, Jesus isn't calling them to be separate. That He's not calling us to be separate from them. He wants us to be one. Exactly. And I'll just tell you that it's absolutely correct what you say, because, you know, after if you look in Acts, they still, the disciples and the people that followed Yeshua were still meeting in the temple. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did, of course, after Shabbat, we call it Motzei Shabbat, the exit of Shabbat, which would be Saturday night. They did gather in homes for their final Shabbat meal and fellowship. And of course, by that time, there were synagogues. You know, we know Yeshua taught in Capernaum. And in fact, there's a still quite a lot of the white synagogue, which is known to be the, the synagogue that Yeshua 
taught for him from often mm. when he was visiting Peter. You know, Peter lived in Capernaum. And it wasn't strange for the Jews to keep going to synagogue. It wasn't a lot of times I've heard Christians say, oh, they just didn't get it that this was all going away. No, that's not true at all. The only reason the temple was destroyed was because the Jews had baseless hatred for one another. And the person they committed the grievous, most grievous baseless hatred against was Yeshua. Now, this is not all the Jews. Mind you, It's if you read Copernicus and the Jews, you're going to get a very different sense of things. There were as many as 50,000 Jews following Yeshua, believing that he was the Jewish Messiah. That's right. Because in Acts, where it talks about all these people, it, the word is myriades, tens of thousands in Greek. Mm-hmm. Myriades. So we know there was at least 50,000 and we think many more. And then we know many of the Pharisees believed in him and even some of the priests, the chief priests. So it's a big misnomer that we should be separated from each other. And, uh, you know, I don't want to bring it up now because it's a big loaded subject, but maybe in a future time, We can talk more about that and how we can rejoin ourselves to Israel. Mm -hmm. There's some practical things that can be done. You and I talked a little bit about this. Do you want to move into Genesis 12-3? Sure. Let's do that. Okay. And by the way, I just need to say before we move there, the word for Torah in Greek, in uh, the word used in Greek is nomos. It means law. Torah in Hebrew, is not law, though it includes some laws. Torah means teaching and instruction. It's God's teaching. That's right. And Christians say this a lot, and I love this. I, I love the saying. The Bible, and I will say the Torah, is God's love letter to humankind. Mm-hmm. There's a different level of responsibility, responsibility to the Torah, rather, from the Gentiles from the Christians, and I would include all Gentiles here, not Muslims, whatever, Hindus, whatever. But Christians, Gentiles are invited. And there is, speaking from experience, tons, tons. I I can't even express how much happiness and joy I have found in the 14, actually it's almost 15 years now, that I have been learning about the Torah. So that's all I'll say about that. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's do Genesis 12, three. So the most important thing where it says that uh, about the blessing of Abraham, you know, that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. Mm-hmm. Well, the word for blessed is, I'm going to say the, the root word. It's barach. It actually, the word berek which is the knees, is the same root word. Okay, so it's like it's like bowing down, it's humbling yourself, it's a lot of different things. But anyway, in this situation, the nations will be blessed by you or through you. It really should say the nations will bless themselves through you. Mm-hmm. The word for bless is in a, we have um, seven uh, grammatical uh, verb stems in Hebrew. Uh, we call them a uh, binyan. 
And this is in the Binyan Nifal. Now, that's not going to mean anything to anybody. I'll explain. It is a verb that is in the passive tense. And it's like it's passive because an action takes place and then the blessing takes place. Mm. So this also is an agricultural term. It's used when they say, and I know a lot of your audience and you know this, when we graft like a branch of a fruit tree or an olive tree to another tree, um, let's, let's just use Paul's uh, Rabbi Shaul or Paul's picture with the olive tree. The Gentiles are called a wild olive branch, a wild olive tree. The Jews are called the cultivated olive tree. And the reason that God wants them together in grafting is because the wild olive tree produces a lot of olives, but the taste is bitter, doesn't Mm. taste good, but the production is there. And when you graft a wild branch into a cultivated branch, this is the picture, the taste, the quality of the fruit goes up, the Mm. taste of the olives. This is a picture, a metaphor for what God intends to do with Jews and Gentiles working together. When we choose as Gentiles to engraft ourselves, that's what the word actually means also. It's an engraftment. But if we have to do it, we have to choose to do it. Just believing in Jesus is not engrafting ourselves. There's a lot more involved in this. And again, we can talk about this maybe at another time. I believe that volunteering to follow Yeshua in doing the Torah, those commandments that apply to us, because there's a lot that we can't do, then we are engrafting ourselves. Right. When we unify ourselves with the Jewish people, we are engrafting ourselves. When we see ourselves as part of the whole of the Jewish people, who is one, they're one, one soul, if you will. That's what Shaul was trying to say, one body. Many people, mm-hmm. hands, feet, eyes, nose, but one body. This is what he was trying to say. When we engraft ourselves through the Jewish Messiah to Israel, we become one. And as it says in Ephesians, fellow co-heirs with Israel for all the promises, all the blessings, everything that Israel gets, we get. That's so good. Who could refuse? Why would you want to refuse? That's right. And like you said, we're not told that we must do everything. We have to follow every feast religiously and do everything that the Jews have been commanded to do. But we're invited to join them in this. And, And it enriches our understanding of who Yeshua is, of who God is. It enriches us, especially Yeshua, because everything that God put into place was to show them his son and his son. Like, I think there's a book that the Scarlet Thread, it's it's like he runs throughout and that'd be a great topic someday. But we see him throughout. And even just the fact that he is the word made flesh, that is so Jewish. That is such a Jewish yes. terminology and Jewish thought. 
because everything God did was through his words. You know, it's just, it's so hard to understand, but yet it's so Jewish thinking and Jewish. It's just, it's beautiful though. It's just beautiful when we look back and again, some of the words that he, he spoke every time he spoke and put into meaning, it's called the word of God, the word. We think of the word of God as the Bible, but it was so much more than just what's written down. Oh, yes. And I can just tell you, and, and I, I know in comparison to what there is to know, I know very little Hebrew, though sometimes, you know, when I teach, people think, you know, that um, I know a lot of Hebrew, but I'm still learning. I'm still learning about the Torah. I'm still learning how to find Messiah in the middle of every Torah portion. And sometimes he's there multiple times. There are shadows of him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the Torah like, portion. Yes, in the Torah portions. Like, for example, let me just give you a quick example I just thought of. The first person in the Torah who was called a Mashiach, Okay, so so Messiah is the word Mashiach in Hebrew, which comes from the word Mashach, which means to be anointed. Mm-hmm. The first person in the Torah who is anointed is Aaron, mm-hmm. who becomes the high priest, the brother of Moses. And Aaron is a beautiful picture of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And he was the first anointed person. He was the first appointment uh, p- person that was, you know, call it smicha, who was, um, we, we anoint with oil and there's a leaning, a transferring of authority, which Moses did to his brother because God told him to. Mm-hmm. And so um, anyway, it's just he, it, the whole, all of the garments, the pre high priest garments. Oh my gosh. Every mm-hmm. single one of them. Every single one of them is a picture of of Mashiach, of the Jewish Messiah, of Yeshua. And I'll give you one little example. Every Hebrew letter is not just a letter, but also has a numerical value. Mm-hmm. And this is this is not the world's numerology. Okay, this only works with Hebrew. <laughs> you can't do it with any other language, not Greek, not whatever. So it, it doesn't work. Um, every Hebrew letter has a numerical value because that. The Hebrew came and the Torah came out before there were any, there was no Arabic numeral system. So they used the letters. The letter Aleph, which is our A, is the value of one. The letter Bait, which is our B sound, is value two, etc. It goes on and on. Well, the value, we call it gematria. It's actually mm-hmm. the word for geometry and Hebrew is a very mathematical language. It's mathematical, it's musical, it's agricultural, it's biological. It's an amazing language. I highly encourage people to learn. Anyway, the word Mashiach has a value of 358. And the breastplate of the high priest, which is the Hoshen, also has the same numerical value. Mm. Wow. And of course, on the breastplate, was all of the stones for the 12 tribes and and he wore it over his heart and over his chest which is where all a lot of the vital um organs are the heart right. the lungs um it's such a beautiful picture everything in the torah is 
both spiritual. It's, it's spiritual. I shouldn't say both. It's spiritual. It's, it's mathematical. It's agricultural and it's biological. Oh, it's just it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I knew none of this 14 years ago. Nothing. I knew none of this. And I still know so little, Stephanie. I still know just, I always do it just a teeny, teeny, tiny bit. Right. Because really, I mean, even in God's kingdom, I mean, the best scholars of the Bible only know a little bit compared to the wisdom of God. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket. So, so I think we'll spend eternity just learning. We will. And in fact, go ahead, go ahead. No, learning his word, learning all those nuances that you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. And in fact, we have so much to look forward to in the messianic age, the thousand years where he, Yeshua, Jesus will reign on the earth from Israel. And um, he, it's, there's a law, there's a commandment, I should say, in the Torah that says that every um, seven years during Sukkot, during the, the Feast of Tabernacles, um, that the king has to pull out his own Torah and he has to teach the people. And so I believe when Yeshua is king, this is going to probably happen every year. But he is going, just like we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be sitting, you know, he'll be sitting actually Mm -hmm. too, and we're going to be sitting at his feet, so to speak. And we will be able to listen to him teaching us the meaning of things and 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 I also believe we'll be learning about how many times God saved our lives and how many times he protected us from this or that. I mean, we're going to learn so much. We have a thousand years mm-hmm. to be learning from our Messiah, who is the total living picture of the Torah. He's 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 the living right. embodiment, a walking, breathing Torah. <laughs> That's right. And the last point I'd like to make is that, you know, we often think that Jesus was up here above. Mm-hmm. He he was above the Torah. He was above the rules or the laws, as we might call them, yes. um, yeah. of his day. But that's not true. Jesus no. kept the Torah. And he not only kept it, because you see, he couldn't be the Messiah of Israel if he broke one commandment that's right this is one of the reasons why he said that um not one jot we say jot or tittle it's actually he said the the yud which is the smallest letter of the hebrew alphabet and it's our y sound or our i sound depending Mm -hmm. on how it how Mm -hmm. it's in the word and he also said and quotes not one yud or coats. The coats is the little thorns. Look, they're pointy po- pointed points on the letters in the Torah scroll. Till heaven and earth pass away, not one yud or coats will pass away. All has to, I'm paraphrasing a little, everything has to be fulfilled that mm. is in the prophets, that is in the writings. Um, everything has to be fulfilled. In other words, in the Messianic age, the Torah is still going to be in effect. 
And so my thinking is, if we're going to be doing the, of course, we're, you know, obviously, a lot of us are still going to be learning. I mean, we're definitely in the messianic age going to be in a some kind of a higher understanding, but we're still this body is what's going to be resurrected. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this, this is why it's such a miracle. That's <laughs> and right. So because this body will die and the nefesh, which is part, which is an aspect of our soul that's tied to this body will die. And that's what will be re- resurrected. And that's why it's such a huge deal. Yes. But we will have a different awareness and understanding of everything. It won't be like we are today and there won't be any sin. Of course, we're going to have a thousand years to learn. And so my thinking is, why don't we just start practicing now? Mm-hmm. Christians, my friends, beloved, we have no idea what we've been missing. And it's so fun. The feasts are fun. We've been taught this is all a bunch of, oh, God, I'm so glad I don't have to do that. Well, a lot of the things that are hard to do were for the priests. You know, the mm-hmm. book of Leviticus is all the, the uh, Torah HaKohanim. It's all the Torah and instruction for the priests. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff we don't have to do. Um, so, um, but of course, you know, when the temple's back, you know, things are going to be different. So, but we, if we've got, if we're going to be doing this, why don't we just start learning slowly now? Right. And it, it doesn't have to be a burden. That's Yeshua right. Yeshua said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am humble, humble and gentle in heart. And I will give you rest for your souls. Mm. The yoke is his Torah. And great thing if you picture an ox, you know, and uh, on a with a yoke, the heavier, the stronger ox carries the weight. Well, that's Yeshua; he carries mm. the weight, and so we don't have to worry about doing everything perfectly. We do it as we learn slowly, 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 as we're able. Do what you can. That's what the Jewish rabbis say, and then. He carries the weight. And not only that, but we do it in his righteousness, not our own. We do it in his righteousness. And it's a joy. It's a joy. It's not hard. Right. And I even read where the word joy means it's not the joy we think of, but it's the what's pleasing to God when we do That's- it. When we have joy in something, it's it's because we're pleasing God. It's it's, exactly. it's like they're synonymous. That word for joy, when it talks about, it was with joy that He looked to the cross. It was because it was pleasing to God that He looked to the cross. It was right. that kind of thing, and and we have to. And he you know, saw, he saw you, Stephanie, ahead of him. He saw me. He saw all the people who are listening, that's right. who love him and want to follow and serve him. He, that's the joy he saw that mm-hmm. he was, and every Jew that will come to know him, he saw us at the end of that suffering coming right. to know him. That's right. 
And he loves the Jews. He loves the Gentiles. He loves all people. And he's calling his own, you know, just because they were chosen. It doesn't change how much he loves the rest of the world. That's right. That's right. We have to understand why the Jewish people were chosen. Because, you know, they said at Mount Sinai, uh, they said, we will do and we will hear, right. you know. Right. And and then, be, but before that, Abraham volunteered. It says in Genesis, I think it's 2530, that Abraham, before the Torah came, it says, Abraham obeyed all my Torah, that's the plural of Torah, all mm. my chukot, all my regulations, and all my mitzvot. That was before the Torah was given. And I'm sure Abraham did not know all of the commandments, you know, but his heart, Abraham was a Gentile. He mm-hmm. grew up in what we call today Babylon. It was called Ur of the Chaldees at that point. It was a godless, you know, into magicians and star worship. And Nimrod was Mm -hmm. the first antichrist, the first anti-messiah. He grew up under Nimrod. His father, Terah, served in Nimrod's palace. Wow. And so Abraham pulled away from that idolatry. He looked up at the stars one night. This is in the Midrash, okay? But this is from the book of Jasher, which is quoted in Joshua, mm-hmm. and I think it's Second Samuel. And so this is a le- this is a legitimate extra biblical book, and it says that Abraham looked at the stars up one night, and all that the Chaldees you know were worshiping, and he said, "Wait a minute, I'm paraphrasing. Wait a minute, all these stars." And the sky and the moon and the sun comes up in the daytime. Wait a minute. They aren't the gods. Some god, somebody greater than them made all this. Mm. And so he began to seek the God of Israel. And this is when he was very young, very, very young. And then the first time that God spoke to him was when he was 75 years old. When he was in Haran, can you imagine seeking God for most of your life? And he he never spoke to him till he was 75. That's called commitment. No wonder. There's a lot of reasons why Abraham was chosen. But let me just say one more quick thing about that. We're all chosen. Right. The Jewish people came into existence to show us how to know God. Shaul, Rabbi Shaul or Paul puts it this way. He says they were entrusted with all of the covenants, the promises, the oracles of God, and they preserved them. Mm -hmm. You think that was by accident? Why did they preserve them? Because God knew that you and I and members of your listeners and many other people were going to one day meet the Jewish Messiah and we were going to follow him. Mm. Avraham was a Gentile who was converted in his soul. Lev, a bleed lev, a circumcision of the heart. That's why we follow Abraham. That's As, right. And of That's course, so beautiful. summed up in Yeshua. Of course, he's the ultimate. Right. He's right. the ultimate son of Israel. Right. And even the beginning of Matthew, 
the very first verse, he calls him the son of Abraham. He calls him the son of David and son of Abraham. So exactly. it's all, it all comes together and we don't even know. It's like, why did he say, call him son of Abraham? That's it's so why. Though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so there's beautiful. so much, there's so much that we miss. I, it makes me so sad in the church that we miss these mm-hmm. things, but you know, there's many people like me who have been in a yeshiva now, a mess, of course, messianic believing Yeshua is definitely the center. And so we are helping mm-hmm. others to learn and teaching them why, because God loves every Gentile as much as he loves the Jewish people. He That's wants right. them all grafted in. He wants them in the kingdom. He wants them. Yep. Oh. Yes, he does. Well, thank you so much. This was so good. And you have so much wisdom and understanding. And, and I look forward to having you back because I think that there's so much more that you didn't even touch on that you could have gone and we could have gone deeper into things. And But um, right now I want to lay a foundation. I want people just to start getting more and more interested and seek to go deeper. Um, yeah. Because if we just dive in right away, kind of get overwhelming. But exactly. we're going to just, it's, yeah. Even, even what we talked about today might be a little overwhelming for some mm-hmm. people if they've never heard these things before. So That's right. I just, I understand my heart is with them. I know how they feel. I've been there. And um, I just want to help people. I want to help them grow. I want to help them. Um, right. And you're a you're wonderful outlet for me to share, you know, uh, what I've learned. So I really appreciate you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review and recommend it to your friends and family. And don't forget to check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews. That's all for today. See you next time.